And now for our special Oscar review episode. Live from the red carpet in Hollyweird, New York. Hey, what are you guys wearing? I mean, other than a cat. Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh, hey there, Dan. Coming in right here is Stuart Wellington. And over here on the sidelines, it's Elliot Kalen. Boys, I guess there's no stars in heaven because they're all out here at the Oscars Flophouse Oscar Special 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, the Oscar Special on the Flophouse is a very special night when we do what, Stuart? Well, Dan, look out into that crowd. Everybody's okay. dolled up and you're like, they're here. They must be on a hot date, and they are on a hot date. A hot date with a man called Oscar. Yep. That's right. Oscar, the statue from the Academy Awards. He's come to life. He's terrifying because he doesn't have defining facial features. Mm-hmm. And he's wielding a sword. So it's just like a man with almost no face and That's no genitals. That's what he's Let's holding. Just say that. <laughs> holding a so- well, what did you think he was holding? I thought he was holding his stuff. No, it goes all the way down to his feet and it has a hilt. <laughs> I thought that's why people liked him so much and wanted him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm not actually sure why you're talking about the Academy Awards, because on this episode of the podcast, we're reviewing the movie Oscar from 1991. Now, does this have anything to do with the fact that the Oscars were actually last week? Uh, mm-hmm. We're recording this the day of the Academy Awards, but it will not be released for another week, right? Uh-huh. Probably. Yeah. What's your point? Are you pulling, so I guess what I'm saying back is the curtain, the red, the red curtain, and the red theater. Let me just give you my let me just give you my Oscar roundup for the actual Academy Awards. Can <laughs> uh, keeping in mind this is the morning of the Academy Awards. Uh-huh. You okay, Dan? Uh, I've had a, a cough for like two months. Okay, well, uh, make sure to do it on mic. I yeah, yeah. Tr- actually turned away <laughs> from the microphone. Well, it, I still heard it really loud. I mean, oh, wow. like a, yeah, Dan, I, do you have a second like, mic? Do you have a like cough if, mic <laughs> under the table? <laughs> If Elliot hadn't brought attention to it, we all could have lived our lives. But <laughs> nope, we all would have died because of your cough, because you have the plague. Dan, oh, okay. This is this is the hardest part of my job as an audio doctor. Uh, it sounds like you have the plague. I think you have exactly two hours to live, just enough time to do our Oscar special. Because here's the thing, guys: the Oscars. We're recording this the morning of. The Oscars won't air for a few hours. But here's my awards in review: one, best picture, went to the wrong movie. Best actor, probably the wrong actor. Uh, best screenplay, probably went to the right person. And what about all those funny jokes? Boy, were they lame. In memoriam, they left out a couple people that everybody misses. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, it was too long. Guys, what's these long Oscar telecasts? Oh, right. That was eerily prescient or prescient. I don't remember how to pronounce it. Let's go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, Dan, we watched we watched a movie Oscar, right? The movie Oscar starring Sylvester Sly Stallone. <laughs> and then, and what are we going to do with that movie Oscar? We're going to thanks talk for about clarifying it. that it's Sly Stallone and not Sylvester from the Cracked magazine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or Sylvester the Cat. Uh huh. <laughs> um. Yes. 
Yeah, we're, Although, we're watching an I, even more obscure <laughs> obscure thing than I mean, reviewing a cracked magazine. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's actually kind of appropriate that we're reviewing Oscar, guys, not just because of the name, but actually this movie was nominated for a couple awards. It was nominated for multiple Razzie Awards. Uh, yeah, including wh- one I do not agree with, and we'll yeah. get to that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's probably the same one that I don't agree with. Oh, we'll weird, see. because normally the Razzies are so on point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, keeping in mind that of all the all, all awards are fake, and I say this as someone who just last weekend won a Writers Guild Award for the Fake News with Ted Nelms. It's on the Comedy Central website. Go see it. Just Google Fake News with Ted Nelms, Comedy Central. As someone who just won an award, awards are all pretty much bunk, but the Razzies are the most bunk since they're – I don't even I don't know who gives them out. They're not they're pointless. They don't really go to the worst thing. They go to like the most famous thing that they can find that's supposed to be bad. But all, sometimes they give them to good things. What's that all about? Uh, I don't know. Let's ask Alfie. What's it all about, Alfie? Well, it's me, Alfie. I don't really know much about the movie that I was in. I think I slept with a bunch of women. Anyway, uh, well, well, tell us about the Razzies then, Alfie. <laughs> the Raspberry Awards. <laughs> was started by a gentleman back in 1910 who was very (laughs) upset about the quality of the flicker he just walked out of. I actually don't know much about that either. I've been bonked in the head by a coconut. I don't know what my whole deal is. I don't know anything about the Razzies. I really should (laughs) go to the doctor. So you're saying that so that so the premise of this is that Michael Caine would have known quite a bit about the Razzie Awards (laughs) if he hadn't been hit by the coconut. Who's Michael Caine? <laughs> oh, wow. oh, boy. Well, this We're coconut in injury goes deeper than we expected. Anyway, yeah. let's talk about this movie Oscar, shall we, guys? Yeah, yeah okay. why not? Fire it up. This movie starts in fake uh, movie land depression era. Uh-huh. Everything looks super fake and fakey. It's in and Chicago, fake. right? It's 1931. Uh-huh. It's probably Chicago. And you're, everything looks like it's on a soundstage. The streets, the houses, everything. Which I said, I mean, I don't actually mind for this kind of movie. This movie is deliberately stylized. It's supposed to be a like a screwball farce. So like the fact say, that yeah, everyone's movie, playing dress up doesn't bother me. But this this movie, the the flaw in this movie is not that it lacks realism. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's not like I want to see the gritty real gangster days. Yeah, in this like screwball like, comedy. like Johnny Dangerously. <laughs> 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 Which I feel yeah. like they probably shot a lot of this on the same sets as Johnny Dangerously. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I bet you'd probably be right. Um, so we meet our hero, uh-huh. Sly yep. Stallone. He's playing. Oh. I thought you were talking about Peter Riegert. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is the first star that we see is Peter Riegert, <laughs> the pickle true. man from Crossing the that's how you. That's how you know you're about to watch a comedy. <laughs> uh, we I see mean, he is a very funny performer, Peter Yeah, Riegert. I know. I was mm-hmm. being serious. He's one of the people I like uh, the most in this movie, actually. One of the... He's like... Uh, Five or six people, I think, really do well. But I anyway. mean, this movie has a has an amazing cast. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's keep the the counter going. Number one person out of the five that Dan liked, Peter Riegert. Go okay. <laughs> okay. Let's keep track of it uh, now, Dan. What is Sylvester Stallone's mobster name? Because he's a dapper mobster. What's his What's his, his name? name? Is Snaps Provolone. Uh huh. I'm laughing already. He's <laughs> named after cheese. <laughs> um. And so he goes out. With his now, his, Dan, this uh, is actually aunt. that's one of those jokes. That's one of those current event jokes that is lost to us now because at the time they just invented 
cheese snaps, which is how you would connect two pieces of cheese to make a sandwich out of them, like little metal snaps. And so people were like, oh, snaps provolone. That's funny because nowadays we use snaps to connect our cheese. But that joke is lost to us now because we don't use that technology anymore. It's like how in Fellowship of the Ring where Boromir picks up the shards of Narsil and he cuts his finger on it and he says, still sharp, which is both a joke about his ad campaign for, I think, Gillette, where he cuts his finger on a razor, and also because Sean Bean played the character Richard Sharp from the Sharp's Rifle series. Now, Ellie. Yeah, yeah. Ellie, you said we don't use snaps to keep our cheese together anymore. What do we use to keep our cheese together these days? (laughs) Oh, cheese Velcro. Okay. Anyway. So it's called, it's called it's called cheese crow or Velveeta, and it's a like a it's just Velcro that you attach to your cheese and it holds it together in a sandwich. Guys, wait, are you like me? Use, have, do you have to use? Have you ever? Wait, <laughs> no, but, you finished doing it. I'll do wait, my bit. No. Okay. <laughs> so wait, how do you do? You need to use cheese snaps to keep the Velcro connected to the cheese. No, you use cheese glue to hold the Velcro on. Come on, guys. This is not new technology. Hey, has this ever happened to you? I want to eat a cheese sandwich, but it keeps falling apart. Well, no more. Now it's time for new cheese Velcro, cheese crow, or Velveeta, as we call it. Uh, Not associated with the spread Velveeta. That's a different thing. Uh, Now, cheese Velcro holds your cheese together, and it makes a delightful tearing and ripping sound as if the fabric of the universe Mm. was coming apart when you remove it from the cheese. It's perfectly edible as long as you don't have too much of it because the glue is highly toxic. So just have like a little bit of that. Uh, But the Velcro itself is fine. It's made out of corn or something probably because of government subsidies. Anyway, cheese Velcro. Hold your sandwich together today. Now, have you ever had this problem? My loose meat sandwich is too loose. The meat keeps falling out and rolling along the floor. That's why we have new meat crow. It's Velcro for little pieces of meat. Now, guys, it is not good for you. Do not eat it. But we're working out the bugs, and someday we hope to have an edible version. And uh, I just want to throw in there, you didn't put in this disclaimer, but under no circumstance do you want to use cheese crow on meat because you will have some results. No, 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 good God, no. No, 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 no. That is a very bad idea. Very bad. For reasons I'm not allowed to say because of a lawsuit. So anyway. uh, So so snaps provolone. (laughs) Snaps provolone. Goes upstairs with his uh, entourage Uh to... uh, Including Chaz Palminteri. Including Chaz Palminteri, number two. Number two of the people uh, I like. Oh, okay. Later on, he has he has my one favorite joke in the movie. Uh-huh. Sylvester oh, yeah? Sloan has my second favorite joke okay. in the movie, but we'll get to it. Um, And uh, they're going up to see a dying man. Lo and behold, it's Kirk Douglas. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> he's Snaps' his father, and he's dying, and he's ashamed that Snaps has been a gangster all these years. Kirk Douglas Dan, went on to mention, live many years after this movie. The, the priest is Ralph yes. Bellamy? Is that what you're going to say? Yes, you should, no, uh, Don Amici. Don Amici, sorry, the other one. <laughs> As uh, the known. other one. They were in like two movies together. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Don Amici. Um, but uh, and yeah, it, it's true that at the time Kirk Douglas was already an old man. Yes. But now he is a much older man, and thankfully he's still with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kirk Douglas snaps his father, makes uh, snaps promise that he will go straight, and he does this mm-hmm. by method of slapping him several times. Well, that's was his uh, gangster nickname, Slaps Provolone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because he loves slap bracelets. Mm-hmm. Cut to one month later. Oh, wow. Wait, no, Dan. Cut to a claymation opera singer. Oh, yes, <laughs> I from The Barber the most, of Seville. I <laughs> yes, cut to the most inexplicable use of claymation since Better Off Dead. <laughs> 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 the opening credits are just brought projected onto a screen as a, a claymation opera singer sings uh, 
what's that? El Factotum, whatever that song is from uh, from the Barber of Seville, the Figaro song. Uh, and he's really belting it. And I got to say, it's great claymation. You never see this character again. And I really missed him. <laughs> do you think? Yeah. If he had shown up at the very end of the movie, do you think uh, people will like that? Oh, we'll oh they would have loved later. it. I mean, I was waiting for him to pop out of Snaps' his pocket as his little magic friend, like that gopher <laughs> from the Punky Brewster cartoon, yeah. but it never happened. Uh, okay, so, sorry about that. I've missed, I've missed the most important character, but now that... The- and this is, and this also, you know, it's always fun to watch, it's always fun to watch a slightly older movie, because I like watching the longer credit sequences and being like, oh, oh, that person. Oh, it's nice to see that person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so Snaps, a month later, is he's trying to go straight. Uh-huh. He's, uh, asleep in bed. And yep. uh, I don't know if we need this many details. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the point is, like, he gets awoken by someone saying it's a matter of life and death. And mm-hmm. uh, which we come to find out is true or not. So this 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 is the day Snaps is going to meet with some bankers and yes. buy into their bank and go straight as a banker rather than a gangster. Mm-hmm. Now, and listeners of today would be like, what's the difference? There is no difference. Both of them are hoarders of capital who use their power to oppress those who have less capital and who the the legal system has been designed to protect the holders of that power. But Dan, continue. Elliot, great. Now all of our banker listeners are going to be turning (laughs) off the podcast and then writing mean reviews about us right after they get done writing a mean review about Captain Marvel, a movie they haven't seen yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, and Dan, who's who's playing the police chief who's out to get snaps? Oh, uh, Kurtwood Smith. Hell yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, who uh, spends Robocop most of the movie and that seventy show? Thing. I feel like he spends most of the movie shooing pigeons off a ledge. <laughs> he must have had like the most easy uh, shooting of this whole movie. Like at the end, he comes in and he has a little business to do, but otherwise, he's just looking through binoculars out of a fake window mm-hmm. for the entire and yelling into a phone. <laughs> yeah, so it's like they they probably shot most of his scenes in one day. I'm guessing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so Dan, well, what? Who's this person's there on a matter of life and death? What's going on? Well. It's a young accountant who I never quite understood whether I was supposed to sympathize with him or not. Because yeah, good, co- good point. Because he's there on a mission of love, but as we learn later on, he keeps stealing money from Snaps mm-hmm. and does not seem to be uh, that upset about any of it. So I'm like, this guy seems kind of a dick. And but... he's, a, he's a tall, handsome guy, and so it's, yeah. it's kind of tough to sympathize with those characters mm-hmm. in movies. Yeah, exactly. His name is Anthony, <laughs> so we can refer to him as that as we go on. Anthony is there. Sorry, I, I I think that legally I'm supposed to always say it, Anthony. Uh-huh. Or Anthony. <laughs> yeah. Now, Anthony was there to uh, ask for a raise uh, because he is in love. Um, uh-huh. And he asked for a significant raise from, from Mr. Snaps, his boss. and uh, Mr. Provolone. Mr. Provolone. Snaps, for short. And... <laughs> It's like Mr. Snaps is like the kind of, like like a maid in a sitcom would call someone by Mr. and their first name. <laughs> That's but, true. Um, and it become and what's who is Anthony in love with? Well, it turns out God, that what not turns out who do we think it is? <laughs> it turns out that he's in love with Snaps's daughter, which enrages Snaps. Uh huh. Although he's not allowed to murder him because he's going straight. This is his his day where and he's yeah, gonna. And so every time his gangsters run in with a gun, he takes their guns away. 
Yes. Uh-huh. Because he doesn't want them shooting anybody. And this eventually ends with Chaz Palminteri running in with a with like a uh, the a leg, leg and thigh quarter of a chicken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's either turkey or chicken running in and using pretending that's a gun, which is yep. pretty funny joke. I gotta say, all <laughs> palmetary stuff is pretty funny. And there was a brief moment when I saw him run in there, and I'm like, I get why people love having guns because <laughs> they're delicious <laughs> chicken legs. <laughs> yeah, I would. That's my favorite kind of gun, a chicken leg. So okay, he, I'll just Dan. I'll just say so. In uh, snaps is like, you don't make enough money. You can't. You can't be with my daughter. And he says, that's okay. I've embezzled fifty thousand dollars from you, and I'm going to give it to your daughter when we get married. And snaps is mad about all this. And not in the Paul yes. Reiser mad about you, that means I like you sort of way. No, mad in the Sylvester Stallone's voice goes from kind of low to very loud in a uh, the space <laughs> of one sentence. But yes. Snaps being, even though he's going straight, like even over and above the fact that he's going straight, he seems like a very reasonable gangster because he's mm-hmm. like, after a while, he's like, okay, you embezzled $50,000 from me, but you're going to give it to my daughter. Seems fair. Uh and for the so, reasons of the plot, Snaps must be okay with this for the moment. <laughs> yeah. So he's mostly okay. I mean, he makes Anthony go like walk around the block while he talks to his daughter and like clears everything up because he's also mad that it turns out the two of them are lovers, which uh especially at the time oh, yeah. he was not happy about. Yeah. And he so goes Dan, up, tell us about the daughter. He goes up to see his daughter, who turns out to be played by Marissa Tomei. Uh-huh. Who is the third person I liked in the movie? Great. And the person I liked the most in this movie uh-huh. and was very angry to see that she got a Razzie Award nomination. Here's my theory about that. So <laughs> she is she is very good in this movie, playing a very irritating character, kind of like a loud, petulant flapper. And I think the Razzie Awards were like, This character's irritating. So we're gonna give mm-hmm. her a bad we're gonna give her a bad actress award. How dare like, she sit in bed and read Lady Chatterley's Lover? <laughs> And listen to Cab Calloway music. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, but she's but this was I think her first movie, Oscar. Oh yeah, she is so and, charming in it. And like even even with what you're saying about her being like kind of a like a, an irritating character, but she's also like super lovable. Like yeah, she's very. It, well, it reminds me of how after she won the Oscar for My Cousin Vinny, people were like, "That was a mistake. That couldn't have been real." And it's like, why? Because she's hilarious in it. Because yeah. she gives a hilarious like nuanced performance in it like it made it makes me and, mad just to think about it and like steals every scene she's in yes yeah and anyway. she's not stealing scenes from just anybody she's stealing scenes from herman munster guys i remember i so when <laughs> she's my, taking her life in her hands <laughs> yeah you'd expect her, herman munster to come down and rip her limb from limb <laughs> like he did on yeah, the show just snap right? her neck. Yeah. uh i remember when when my wife and i first started dating my wife who is you know born and raised in brooklyn uh when I we had been dating for a couple of months, and I went back to Indiana to visit my parents, I remember one night uh, watching my cousin Vinny just because it made me feel close to this woman I had just started dating. <laughs> That's very sweet. Yeah. So, so Dan uh, Marissa Tomei, she's a real flapper, girl of the twenties in nineteen thirty one. Yeah. And she, Snaps is stifling her. He he won't let her live the life she wants. So, what does she do, Dan? Well, because she uh, she wants to get out of the house, as she keeps saying, and marry someone. Marrying someone is her best ticket out of that stifling house. She, at the suggestion of the maid, mm-hmm. pretends to be pregnant. She says she's pregnant. Uh, so she'll and I have like the, to marry I like this, this maid because she brings a different accent to the table. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. She's Irish, everyone. <laughs> Hooray. St. Patrick's Day is coming up. <laughs> 
I, I love uh, the uncomfortable, just like blank stares that that elicit. I mean, I don't. I mean, what does it have to do with? It? I mean, what? I guess if, if even if someone's listening to this late, I guess St. Patrick's Day is still coming up eventually. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the inexorable, inexorable march of time brings St. Patrick's Day to our door yeah. once again. Sa- this not not to get onto a hot take, guys. That might offend people, but St. Patrick's Day is one of those holidays where I'm like, why does everyone give a shit about this? Like, uh-huh. I totally get why Irish people would love to have a day to celebrate <laughs> being Irish and all you know all the great poetry and uh, and other things that that has to do with. But why should I care? Like, why do I have to care, Dan? <laughs> Elliot, Elliot's angry because he's part snake and snakes hate St. <laughs> Patrick's Day. Well, that's the, that's the other thing is that it's it should be called. Well, actually, I won't even go into that joke. Never yeah. mind. That would have been. Politically correct, but I will say that, uh, that guys, yeah, why are we celebrating the la- lack of snakes in a place that desperately needs snakes? Have you ever opened up a can of peanut brittle in Ireland? There's just <laughs> peanut brittle inside. Yeah, uh, wait, nothing jumps wait, out at you. What would what would be in it? Like a totally snakes. realistic snake? Oh, okay, totally realistic snakes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Dan. So you tell me, you're part Irish, right? Your last name's McCoy. Uh, yeah, Scott's Irish. Yeah. So okay, sorry. I, it's a rich pan. You know, it's a rainbow of different cultures in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's uh, I, the, <laughs> yeah, uh, from white to slightly more white. So why would why should I, a Jewish person who has no Irish blood in me, care about St. Patrick's Day? Why do I have to wear green and get pinched if I don't? Which is an assault, sir. An assault on my <laughs> very person. That's actually a good point, <laughs> Elliot. Uh, don't you treasure all the blarney we've brought into your life? <laughs> I don't know what blarney is. <laughs> I know there's enough to make a stone out of it. <laughs> I imagine it's a kind of like it's a kind of like uh like like a sticky like a sticky fruit snack or something like that. Uh huh. Oh, so you studied Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to this. Let's get back to the movie. Okay. So she so pretends she, maids, she's pregnant. Yeah. Yes. Oh, but uh oh, Dan, who's gonna show up and throw a monkey wrench into the proceedings? I can only imagine. Uh, wait, I'm not sure. Is that we're talking about Teresa? Is yes, it, Teresa. Is it, is it Eddie okay. Bracken? I, I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another mention. Eddie Bracken plays a stuttering informant who's calling everybody up. I love Eddie Bracken. We've talked about that on the, on the podcast before. Big fan of his. Saw him in a play once. He's in one of my favorite movies in Miracle <laughs> Morgan's Creek. I don't, so I don't remember the order of a lot of these things. I'll be honest with you. So uh-huh. let's just go to Teresa. Did, okay. Okay. We, we don't, we don't learn the true, uh, I mean, it's okay if you don't. Lisa's paramour at this point. It's okay if you don't remember the structure because structure isn't that important in a French farce, right? Okay, (laughs) you just kind of jumble all the jokes together and it works. So, snaps our entry point character. The Uh as we've all been a gangster going straight. He now thinks that Anthony has impregnated his daughter, and that he and Anthony has this fifty thousand dollars. But then another woman shows up, and what does she say to Snaps, Dan? Yeah, Teresa. In in a in a strangely flat and. Uh, her in an acting style that clashes with everybody else in the movie. Yeah, I have to say, like, I, I don't want to like get down on individual actors, like. But I, you do want to get down and get funky, right? I, I do. <laughs> yeah. I want to get down on the floor. Everybody walk the dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, you do want to get on the scene like a sex machine. <laughs> yeah, but this woman, like, I actually, <laughs> this is this is going to be harsher than it sounds. I wow. looked her up on IMDb to see if she had ever been anything else, <laughs> because her performance is. So much flatter than anyone else's. It's very it's strange. It's very weird. And I think they're trying to, with her, I think they were trying to go with, she's more of a like, she's not part of this gangster life. So yeah. I guess she like is more of a good girl sort. But she, yeah, she comes off very, every time she enters the scene, her performance style is just so much slower and and like 
calmer than everybody else's, and it really throws off the scenes. Yeah. But anyway, she comes to reveal that she is in love with Anthony. She has been pertaining to be Snaps' daughter. Due Which to seems ridiculous based on the way they enunciate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There was a misunderstanding that's too stupid to uh, explain. <laughs> but like she's been pretending this all the time, and that's why Anthony's come looking to marry Teresa. Because- yeah, she thought Anthony was a rich accountant, and she thought, he's not going to date a girl who's not rich, so I better pretend to be the daughter of the most famous gangster in town. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, it turns out that Lisa... Is actually her uh, boyfriend had been Oscar, the the chauffeur who has been fired at this point, and we later find out has skipped the country. Uh huh. And mm-hmm. we Join later the army. We later find out that he is played by one of the scriptwriters. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. <laughs> okay, so in order to get back his jewels, which he now knows are uh, are like not going to come back to him. Oh wait, no, no, it's not jewels yet, Dan. It's fifty thousand dollars in cash, uh-huh. which. Anthony has told – at some point tells him, oh, I, I put them in the form of jewels, which I'm going to give to uh, – which I'm going to give to your daughter who I'm in love with. It's not really. Uh, so Aunt Snaps is like, I need this money back. And I also – and his wife says, our daughter's pregnant. You've got to find a husband for her. And yes. let me just say, I don't usually like to make these kinds of comments, but the actress playing Snaps' wife is so incredibly beautiful that it like – Yeah. Every scene she's in, I'm like – I don't. she's like – I can't buy her as silly. She's beautiful yeah. in that spe- in that way that certain Italian actresses are, like that Sophia Loren type way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, you need to get a less beautiful actress for this part because I mean, I she totally was in, do- she was in Flash Gordon, dude. <laughs> I mean, and and they're probably a problem too as well. It was just really throwing me off. But I no, apologize no, I, I, that I was I was that I was startled each time we, she was on by how much her real glamour beauty like clashed with the kind of fake old style of the movie. Yeah, no, I had to look her up, and I was like, I was like, did Isabella Bella Rossellini have a sister? What's going on here? But like, yeah, she's a she's a lovely lady. Uh, she does have a sister, Dizzy Bella Rossellini, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she's kind of like the goofy, clumsy Isabella Rossellini. Uh-huh. That's, uh, how she, that's how she's available, is because she's so clumsy. And <laughs> yeah, that, but that shows that even though she's beautiful, she's relatable because she's yeah. so clumsy, and that's why the goofball hero can attain her. Before we move on. Uh, I, this is not particularly important to the plot, but uh, we have not mentioned that also because Snaps is meeting with these bankers, he has the Fanucci brothers. Is that their names? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, Fanucci's or uh, the Panucci's. I Panucci's. Think. I think it's Fanucci because uh, I, I had the closed captions on. And uh, they're. So Fanucci brothers. They're famous Italian uh, 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 suit, suit tailors, and they're making a suit for Snaps. And one of them is Harry Shearer, and one of them is one of the guys from Jurassic Park. I can't remember his name. But they're very, they're very funny, too. They're like <laughs> also Goldblum. people I think are very funny in this movie. <laughs> David Attenborough? Yeah. Um, no, sorry, Richard Attenborough. Not David Attenborough. Richard Attenborough is dead. Uh-huh. Laura uh, Dern? Uh, Newman from Seinfeld. Wayne Knight. Uh, Samuel Jackson? Uh-huh. Is it all, a raptor? It's all of them. <laughs> is he played by a raptor, Dan? They all went into Jeff Goldblum's fly machine and got met, merged together. That was a real machine? <laughs> oh, wow. And Jeff Goldblum got the patent on it? I also like the idea that it was a fly machine, that he was intentionally trying to do something. <laughs> he kept teleporting himself, going like, still no flies. Damn. <laughs> now, here's the thing. Do you think they built a real working teleportation machine? Just for the realism of it. And mm-hmm. then the studio was like, we cannot insure this movie. If you're using a real teleportation <laughs> machine, yeah. you better build a fake one. The insurance bills are going to be uh, through the roof. 
Yeah. Anyway. So, so anyway, he's getting his suit made by the Fanucci brothers. And yeah, that's a, a lot of fun. Little bit of business that's fun. But uh so it's basically a chance for Harry Shearer to do a lot of uh like a shut up a you face type jokes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh so I'll just say this part real quick. Snaps manages to swindle that bag of jewels back from the accountant, but in the meantime the accountant is like, "Ah, oh, but I needed that money. I need that money." And Teresa overhears it and storms out cuz he th- she thinks that he cares about the money more than her. Well, is this is this the moment where they sign different papers? Probably, I, think I don't so. know. There's, there's I feel a like lot that, of, there's I, I feel there's like, all this business with like exchanging bags and signing contract. He that Anthony signs a paper saying I am the father of Snaps's daughter's baby. Yeah, and Snaps signs a paper that says Anthony can have what fifty thousand dollars or something. Yeah. No, Anthony can have a raise. I don't remember what it is. There's a lot of like that farce business where there's objects that are yes. changing hands. I just think it was important to uh, to make it clear that Anthony signs this paper saying he's the father of this baby because that's how. Uh, Snaps then tries to wrangle him into marrying Marissa Tomei to give this unborn child that does not exist a father. And he also says that the Fenucci's are famous assassins yeah. and that he'll send them after him. And this is there. There's a there's a thing here where the Fenucci's. Uh, they're really proud that one of their suits was in the newspaper, and yeah. so they have an article about uh, about a gangster who was murdered, <laughs> yes. wearing one of their suits, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, and Anthony's is talking to them. They're like, "Oh, you, you, what?" Uh, he, they're very proud of their work. They consider themselves artists, and they say, "Take a look at this." And they show him that article, and he takes it as more proof that they are assassins and yeah. carry around their press clippings. And I'm like, "All right, that wasn't like hilarious, but it's like a clever <coughs> callback." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was one of the better farcical uh, uh, wheel wheel spinnings of the of the movie. I think. Do you yeah, want to um, talk about how that turns into a kind of random jazz piano sequence where <laughs> Anthony and the Fanucci brothers are playing jazz piano together? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's not really pertinent to the plot, but it is a lot of fun. <laughs> and it's, I like, it's basically an excuse for Harry Shearer to like wave his finger in the air as if he's listening to a, <laughs> like a, a, a hop in tune. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the mo- few moments in the, that was like after the claymation opera singer, that was the moment in the movie where I was like, what? <laughs> it was, a, it was amazing to uh, see Harry Shearer act, uh, because, uh, as we all know in real life, he cannot feel joy. So. To see that happen was wow, a- <laughs> wow, really harsh, Dan. Um, He's given you so much enjoyment over the he years. He has. He's Spinal Tap, The Simpsons, the the voice of that stormtrooper in the original uh, Star Wars. Uh-huh. His lengthy, unfunny radio show. Oh wow! Oof, guy. Look, I just want to make it clear to Harry Shearer: the opinions of Dan McCoy do not represent the opinions of the Flophouse. No, I love Harry Shearer. I just find that radio show inexplicable. But uh, you don't have to yeah. listen to it. <laughs> uh no the the government is is blasting it in to my house <laughs> they're trying to get me to leave my apartment but i'm not gonna do it uh-huh anyway that was a weird <laughs> thing to say uh so so anthony meets the daughter yes. meets marissa tomei yes do they like each other uh what no they do not do anthony they, they don't hit it off they at do all not hit it off no no. Um, so, all right. This is where I lose the thread a little bit. So it's around so, now that they introduce uh, an additional character in the form mm-hmm. of Tim Curry playing Dr. Poole. Yes. Snaps his elocution teacher. <laughs> who yeah. is a doctor is, of uh, what language? He's like, he's a real Henry Higgins type. He's a doctor of speakology. Yeah, he can, like Henry Higgins, he can guess where anyone's from based on their accent. Yeah. And uh, Anthony decides this is the guy who I'm going to, 
I'm going to have Palm Lisa off on. Yeah, this, because she dreams of seeing the world. This lonely young hunk, Tim Curry. <laughs> yes. And now, Dan, I think you're maybe the world's number one Tim Curry fan, correct? <laughs> sure. Uh-huh. Let's say. For the purposes uh, of this, you- let's say that's true. Uh, did it feel as strange to you as it did to me when, even knowing that Tim Curry was in the movie from seeing his name in the credits, when he suddenly appeared, <laughs> bringing an English accent with him? Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that, oh, this is going to sound like such a an insult what? about like like a person's appearances. Tim Curry is a unique looking fellow. <laughs> But I've never seen him looking weirder than in this movie. <laughs> they really, they really make him look kind of strange. Yeah, and that's that's keeping in mind that his first major breakthrough role that I can think of was as a was as a cross dressing vampire from outer space. Yes, mm-hmm. and here he looks like even that that if I saw Doctor Frankenfurter walking down the street, I'd be like, all right. But if I saw uh-huh. Doctor Poole walking down the street, I'd be like, that guy's got some weird <laughs> issues. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, yeah. uh, if I saw to... if I saw Doctor Frankenfurter walking down the street, I'd pick him up and carry him around because I'm wearing a gold underpants. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, at this point, it's important to <laughs> wearing a gold <laughs> underpants. That's what they call it, right? <laughs> at this at this point, it's important to uh, note that there's some farcical business involving identical bags and the maid uh, leaving yeah, quitting her all... job. Uh, was this back in the day when they only had one kind of bag, Dan? Apparently, because there are three <laughs> identical bags in this movie. They're all this this black doctor's valise type bag. Yeah. And, and one of them has, has underpants in it. One of them has jewels. And is there a third one? The third one has cash. Crash. Okay. $50,000 of cash. And so the maid is leaving and all she takes is her underpants. Yes. Which is, <laughs> I guess she has one set of clothing and the rest is just underpants. So... This is, this comes into play because Snaps is trying to convince uh, Doctor Poole to marry Marissa Tomei, and uh, to sweeten the deal, he's going to give him a bunch of money so he can help his mom, so he can start an institute, and he oh, like, so he dumps the bag on the table, thinking that jewels are going to sp- spray for out money, but it's in fact ladies' underwear. Uh-huh. And and now this is the first of several times when people empty bags, thinking money will be in it, and it's just ladies' underwear. Yeah. Uh, each time is it? Does it get funnier each time, Dan? I will actually say, for me, it got funnier the second time, and much less funny the third time. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Now, uh, Anthony has told Lisa, uh, Marissa Tomei, that Doctor Pool loves her, and Doctor Pool is open to the idea of. Uh, getting money for his institute. He seems more devoted to his mother than anything else. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. A so bunch of farcical finally, shit happens. Okay. Then those bags uh, get mixed why don't you take the wheel for a second? Yeah. Okay. Those bags keep getting mixed up. There's a, a, lo- a couple times where uh, Stallone tells Chaz Palminteri, hey, look at, watch this bag. Don't let it get out of your sight. And then uh-huh. Chaz Palminteri gets distracted by something and Peter Riegert switches it with another bag, not yep. knowing there's money in it. Like the chauffeur, the German chauffeur gets sent back to get the maid's bag. Cause the maid is actually marrying yeah. the rich banker that Sylvester Sloan originally wanted his daughter to marry. Speaking, it's all, of, speaking of Chaz yeah. Palminteri getting things mixed up, he runs into the room once with a gun and Sylvester Sloan's like, snaps like, give me your gun. What did I say? Give me all the guns. And so he unloads all of these guns <laughs> yes. and weapons. And this I, is the best joke in the movie. <laughs> I half expect him to like pull out a DVD copy of Airplane. It was like the most like Zucker Brothers style joke. <laughs> it was so, on it's like, for so long. Like, and in any other movie, I'd be like, this is going on too long. It's going too slowly. But for some reason, the weird pacing of it and the insistence on continually cutting to more and more reaction shots made it extra funny to me. <laughs> this is the one part of the movie that is structured and cut and shot 
properly, I feel like, for comedy. <laughs> the pacing is perfect. It's very deliberate in the way that old movie stuff often is, where it's like, you see the joke coming. Here it is. You see it again. Here it is. And it's funnier because you know it's going to keep coming. But there's the added twist of the weapons he's pulling out are increasingly bizarre. Like it ends with him ending out ending with a bundle of sticks of dynamite with a with a timer on it. And the, and the clock is ticking. Like, does that <laughs> yeah. mean the house is going to explode? So he's got all these guns. He's got knives, brass knuckles, a grenade. I think at one point, and like it's it's that was the one joke in the movie where I was like, "Oh, you figured out how to tell a joke in this movie, huh?" <laughs> the other one is there's a part where Sylvester Stallone takes the Finucci brothers into the, his li- his study to uh, to get his suit uh, done, and of course it's like the library in Beauty and the Beast. There's wall to wall, ceiling to floor books everywhere, and they go, "Oh, so many books!" And Sylvester Stallone so casually just goes, "Ah, well, reading is my passion." And, it's like, <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. It was such a funny delivery of that. Like, like it was like, "Oh, that's the casual." Like this movie doesn't know when to be casual, and it doesn't know when to be deliberate, and instead it's just kind of like frantic but not frantic enough in the way that late 80s early 90s movies move surprisingly slowly like everything is kind of as if they're underwater and this this Chaz Palminteri taking the weapons out of his coat it was like so beautifully done I was Uh like oh this I should not yeah I should not like this but I think it's so funny so uh, Uh, but anyway anyway, this is about the point uh, oh well go on but I was gonna say this is about the point that uh there's all this bags being moved around or whatever Uh and this is about the point when Lisa actually meets Dr. Poole and what happens uh, they fall for each other. They, uh, they're into it. And, uh, this is part of, this is also why Chaz Palminteri misses the bag being switched because he's looking out the window. This big lug of a guy mm-hmm. turns out to be a real romantic. He's looking out the window and a single tear rolls yeah. down his cheek out of happiness seeing these mm-hmm. two young lovers. Well, one young lover and one middle-aged lover together. <laughs> Having a having a quiet moment and kissing, and uh, and that's when Peter Rieger swoops in and swaps the bags, leading to a bag full of underwear being dumped on a desk again. <laughs> yes, that uh, was that was the part that I actually found funny when when it happened to the second the same person a second time. I think the reason why it's less funny the third time is just like a new guy, but like just like the repetition of like, oh, okay, forget the last time when I dumped out those underwear. Here's the one I was really gonna give you. <laughs> More underwear. <laughs> and, Tim, and Tim Curry reacts to it like, oh, yes, look at all this money you've dumped out in front uh-huh. of me. Here's a beautiful piece of money, and here's another piece of money. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. And so. Yeah, he like the, uh, Rufio's the underpants, right? <laughs> yes. Now, I, I will say the, uh, the, the running gag with Chaz Palminteri's character and other ones that I did not enjoy was Snaps almost instantly starts referring to Teresa as his daughter for some reason I don't understand. He kind of thinks he can sweep it all under the rug as long as he takes care of this Teresa option. So he'll be like, I got to find he's got to marry my daughter. Lisa? No, Teresa, the other daughter. You got another daughter, boss? That mm-hmm. happens probably 40 times in this movie. And yeah. It's like, I didn't th- I didn't know you had another daughter. I don't. And it's like, yeah. what? And it's just like, Snaps, why don't you take a moment, take a breath, sit down. Explain what's happening. <laughs> Don't uh, just be uh, like, Dan. Uh, actually, Dan, if I could, uh, if I <laughs> oh, could step wow. in for just a moment, Sly Stallone. <laughs> uh, it's me, Sly, Sly Stallone, star of the movie Oscar and also Judge Dredd. I am the law. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, Daniel, you've made a complaint that can often be made of many farces. That if <laughs> yep. the characters only stopped for a moment and explained the proceedings, people would know what was going on, and there wouldn't be all this confusion. And maybe the uh, farcical laughs would die down, and instead of a big problem where people are slamming doors and running around, mm-hmm. 
they just sell things very quickly. It's kind of the same the same thing I say when I'm watching Curb Your Enthusiasm, starring <laughs> Lawrence David, in which oh, very when when you, when proper. there's so many times when all Lawrence has to do is apologize, even if he don't mean it, and the problem will go away. But he's just so damn stubborn, he just won't do it. Yep, and he gets into trouble. And I'm like Lawrence, maybe you should curb your enthusiasm yeah, for causing trouble. Very frustrating for the audience. That's all I'm trying to say. You know, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's true, Dan. That's true. Now, uh, what it really is is that you got to uh, believe that farce exists in a kind of different space, a kind of farce space in which logic is more important than uh, reality. Is that yeah. a way I could put it? Does <laughs> sure. that make sense? And so each farce I didn't know event that you had is. Such a dramaturg background. I also I also uh, didn't uh, okay, realize that's... until just now how much Sylvester Stallone sounds like Natasha Leone. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I was her uh, I was her elocution teacher. <laughs> oh, awesome, great. Uh, uh, Dan, I actually chair the drama department at Yale University. Oh wow! Uh, okay. Right, I teach a class called Farce or Farts, in which I talk about the two main types of humor. There's the <laughs> okay. farcical type of humor, in which it is a chain of events that is intricately linked, mm-hmm. and there's also the crass toilet sort of humor. Oh, and they okay. both have their place in in the theater. I, I see. Have to say. I not- imagine that you were just showing your class a farce and then playing an audio recording of a <laughs> fart and asking them to identify which is which. Oh, so you took the class? Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the final. That's the final exam. People pass it. <laughs> well, great. I mean, I'm glad that I guess that's a brag it. on you as a teacher. People pass it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's good. I mean, it shows they've learned the difference between noises off and like a particularly wet fart <laughs> when confronted with both of them. I mean, yeah. So Dan, that would be noises on, I guess, in that case. <laughs> Very good, Stuart. Very good. Extra credit. Now, uh, <laughs> I didn't know you'd enrolled. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. This is yes. an interesting university. Yeah, yeah. it's Yale. It's an Ivy League college. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so-called because we shot the movie Poison Ivy there, starring Drew Barrymore. Mm. The sequels were shot at other universities. Uh, that's what the Ivy Wait. League means. <laughs> okay. So Poison Ivy 2 with uh, Alyssa Milano, uh-huh. that was shot at Harvard. And yeah. uh, Poison Ivy, the new seduction with Jamie Presley, was shot at Brown. <laughs> oh, wow. Such a pedigree. Now, yo, yes. Uh, now, Dan, so I guess what I'm saying is you have you have hit, put your finger on the most prevalent criticism of the farce form. But at a certain point, uh-huh. don't you have to accept the rules of the dramaturgical form upon which you are enjoying? All right. I suppose uh, a willing suspension of disbelief is in order. Yep, that's my teaching assistant. <laughs> Willie, suspension of disbelief. <laughs> Willie's been with me for a long time, and uh, someday he'll finish his doctorate. Okay. Groucho Marx just walked in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been feeding me lines. Well, guys, I gotta go. I've been talks to make a movie called Oscar 2, Too Fast, Too Oscar. Uh, and it's the story of, uh, well, uh, you'll find out, but it's another adventure in the life of that lovable tale, lovable, lovable character that America came to fall in love with, Oscar, which uh, the director, the John Landis, he told me that Oscar was the, yeah, well, uh, uh, and they just start calling my character Oscar. The way okay, that, uh, I got you. Like, the way that Nick Charles became the thin man, even though he wasn't the thin man in the voice movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is some interesting promotional copy for Oscar 2. <laughs> Oscar 2. So anyway, uh, John Landis told me that Oscar was the number one box office hit of 1991. 
Uh, and I don't know why it's taken almost 30 years to make the sequel, but we've been, I guess he's been working on the screenplay. Like uh, he's got his son, he's got his son Max on it. So I assume there's going to be a lot of high concept bullshit in it, but, uh, we'll figure something out. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. Well, so I'm pretty excited. Okay. Well, thanks for dropping by as you occasionally do. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what else are we going to do today? <laughs> okay. I, I, I guess I don't know. Yeah. And I suppose are you guys should... going to, maybe Probably. we should take in like a Broadway show. <laughs> no, well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean. That. I guess we could stop the podcast, Dan, and go to a Broadway show. <laughs> no, let's keep the podcast running. You guys seen this Hamilton? I've heard a lot about it. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've we both seen it. Yeah. Oh, uh, so you, saw, you didn't wait uh, for me. Thanks, I guess. Thanks for no thanks. I mean, I think you could see it a second time. It's got a different cast at this point. Oh, great. Well, I'll just sit on the couch and be silent for the rest of the show. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I'll close my eyes and take a nap until you're ready to leave. Okay, great. <laughs> Elliot, you won't believe what just happened. I I heard it, but I'm, and I'm all the way over here on the other side of the country. Oh wow, this is ridiculous! <laughs> I just keep missing him. Yeah, I got to start locking my door. <laughs> yeah, well, I think he'll just break through. He's a he's a mountain of a man. Yeah, he's very strong. Uh, so, okay, anyway. so Dan, I'm I'm gonna take the wheel for just a moment. Okay. Lisa and Doctor Pool have hit it off. Snaps. He reconnects Anthony, Teresa, and he gets the jewels back. Mm-hmm. And Snaps learns that, so the maid has left, so they hire a new maid. Mm-hmm. And who does this new maid turn out to be, Dan? This new maid turns out to be someone that Snaps knew from the old days when mm-hmm. he first uh, was in the business, the business being being a criminal. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had had a little uh, love connection back in the day. And it turns out that she is the mother of Teresa uh-huh. and he is the father of Teresa. What? So he does have two daughters after all. In the most, in the most pushing of suspension of disbelief thing I think has ever happened in a movie ever, uh-huh. even more so than the Venom symbiote just landing next to Spider-Man in a park <laughs> in Spider-Man Three, uh, we find out that Teresa actually was Snaps's real daughter. Yeah, and so Snaps uh, gives uh, Anthony his blessing to marry his daughter, like. Because he's proven that he truly loves her. Because earlier on, he gave up the money. We didn't talk about that, but it happened. Uh-huh. And so everyone's getting married. And uh, he sends Peter Regard out of the room to get some champagne. And that's just when the bankers walk in. And he's like, uh-huh. Ixnay on the ampagne, Shay. Because it's during Prohibition. Now, normally, well, you, this is- normally you'd know bankers show up and you're like, oh, I have a soft spot for, for bankers. They're nice guys. But one of the bankers <laughs> is played by William Atherton. Mm-hmm. So you know they're jerks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's going to shut down the Ghostbusters loan after this. Uh, yeah. you, and so the bankers, we've seen them throughout the movie meeting. I assume it's this meeting that they've had, I assume, is like 14 hours long. And they're just, oh, I don't want to be in business with gangsters, blah, blah, blah. They think they're above Snaps Provolone just because Snaps Provolone is a murderous criminal who made his money off of stealing and killing mm-hmm. and breaking the law. Yeah. And this is it's one, it's one of those things where we're supposed to be like – and to a certain extent, we are. Sylvester Stallone's super charismatic, and William Atherton and those guys are just not quite as charismatic as Sylvester Stallone. So we're on the gangster side. But it is like in real life, it's like mm, I kind of would want my bank to not be comfortable just getting into bed with a criminal who has decided not to be a criminal anymore and wants to go scot-free. Wouldn't I mean, you guys? It seems like – It's undercut by the occasional like uh, like racist against Italians epithet uttered by the bankers. <laughs> Like, That's true. I mean, they are bad guys, and they hate they hate poor people and stuff like that. Like they're they're a caricature of of the rich. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they have this meeting, and uh, the fact that all these uh, be suited men have walked into Snaps's house gives Kurtwood Smith the chance to say, 
Give it the go ahead. We're going in. We're getting all the. We're gonna get the press. Like he thinks that they're another gang meeting for a tete a tete. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thinks it's the O'Bannon gang. Yeah, and so they go in, and he goes in, and he very confidently asserts that various bankers are various gangsters, which seems weird because oh, I feel Dan. like he would have known what those gangsters look like. Yeah. This is after Anthony has noticed in the banker's contract that they are trying to screw Snaps out of his money. That for the money he's giving to have a stake in the bank, he won't have a seat on the board and he can be kicked out whenever they want. Mm -hmm. So the cops rush in. They go arrest these gangsters. Yeah. And uh, and he goes, uh, he goes, wait a second. This bag has all the money in it. We've been seeing it going in and out of the house this whole time. Let me guys get your cameras ready. I'm going to dump all this money out on the table. This will be the proof. But Dan, what comes out of that bag? Uh, ladies unmentionables. So we oh shouldn't boy. have mentioned them here uh, on the podcast. The the only way they could have, because this joke has happened a lot of times, and as you said, it's not funnier because it's happening to new people. But if Tim Curry had been there and been like, <laughs> tried to convince the new guys that it was money, I think it would have been funnier. That would be funnier. Yeah, I'll give would. you that. Um, so, you know, Kurtwood Smith is, is made a fool. Uh, he leaves, uh, he runs into other gangsters who actually were coming there to try and kill Snap, so he has a bit of a turnaround in his fortunes. He, <laughs> yep. He, he has something to show the From the, Pauper uh, to press. Prince in mere moments. Yeah, he catches all of them. <laughs> and Snaps is like, he, these, he offers Anthony a job as the, the head of his organization, which means he's going back into criminality. And everyone cheers, and he's like, I'm sorry, Dad, I tried. And I'm like, wait, are we supposed to be happy he's becoming a gangster again? I don't understand. And also, Sylvester yeah, that was- Stallone, like Stallone, like none of the things that really like screwed you up today were because you were going straight. Like It was all other like unrelated farcical shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it, there's nothing to stop him from just starting a real, like starting a hardware store chain or something. Yeah. like that like mm-hmm. or like any any real anything other than that one bank so you think he should have announced this and then like a guy would have run in uh and then he just like shot him or something <laughs> yeah i yeah. think if he then started handing out guns to everybody <laughs> we're back <laughs> in business boys and they just start bringing in like stool pigeons tied up and things like that and like yeah. big casks of bootleg liquor like it was all waiting just behind a door mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then we cut to a double marriage both of the both of our uh couples are getting married don amici's there presiding over it that's in yeah. snaps's house and then uh this guy runs in in army gear and everyone's like who's that it's like it's me oscar and snap and snaps like Get him out of here. And I and they take him out, I assume, to get shot. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to murder him. Yeah. Yep. So that's the happy ending. Oscar, our <laughs> titular character, dead in a ditch somewhere. Uh, and, and as with every great Shakespeare comedy, it mm-hmm. ends with the couples united and the the correct order of the universe has been established. People in marriage and gangsters doing gangster stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that was Oscar, guys. Good stuff. Oh, we did it, guys. Good stuff. <laughs> we did it. And the we Oscar the goes to the movie we watch because it's called Oscar. <laughs> now, how many, Dan, how many Oscars was Oscar nominated for? Uh, I, I don't believe it was nominated for any. I, I, I think I, it was only nominated for like four Razzies. I don't think it won oh, okay. any of them, unfortunately. Yeah. I wonder what won that year. I'm going to look it up while we're talking, okay, guys? Which you Razzie? Guys, who you won guys, the Razzie? Yeah. Because um, I so, will say, I don't think this movie deserved a Razzie Award. No, I, I mean, that. it's, I mean, 
It's uh, yeah. Wait, hold on. Final judgments. Good, bad movie. Bad, bad movie. Movie kind of like Stuart. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Like, it was fun to see a bunch of actors that I hadn't seen in a while. Uh, I like that the rival mob boss uh, has a manicurist who is the actress who does the voice for Harley Quinn in the the cartoons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, guys, hold on a second. I'm lo- this is the wrong year, but okay. So Hudson Hawk won the year afterwards <laughs> at the Reservoir uh-huh. for Worst Picture. You know what it beat? What? What? Nothing but trouble. That's oh, insane. No, come that on. shows you how bad the Razzies are. Nothing but trouble deserved that award. It's literally the worst movie in the history of everything. <laughs> Give me twenty Hudson Hawks over that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so you're saying, uh, Stuart, you continue. So yeah, and I remember. I think I this movie was playing on cable or something when I was a kid. Uh, so I watched it a couple times. I don't really remember it, but I have some affection for this movie. Um, it's a lot of like goofy over the top Italian accents. Uh, it's a French farce. So it's like, you know, kind of, kind of breezy. Uh, I think it sags in the third act. Uh, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah. My feeling about it is like, there's a soup, like it's got a super talented supporting cast. Uh, John Landis, even though he goes around murdering people with helicopters is a talented comedic director. <laughs> Man slaughtering um, Dan. <laughs> Um, I and think, if you keep talking, it'll be Dan slaughtering. I think there are two issues. Oh. <laughs> I think there are two issues with this movie. I think it could cut about ten minutes from it, and and it's got such a. I mean, like it's got like uh, clockwork farce plotting, so that seems hard. But I feel like there's a lot of scenes where they're just like, let's cut to everyone for a reaction shot, and you don't need that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the that's the clockwork orange farce plotting where you have yeah. to see everybody watching it with their eyes spread wide open, <laughs> unable yeah. to look away. So there's that. And I also feel like our weak link is our lead. I know that you are a fan of Mr. Stallone, Elliot, but I feel like if you had, say, like Nathan Lane in the lead, like a guy who's like still like kind of big and physically imposing, but is like a farce uh, guy. Wait, wait, what? Nathan Lane is what? Hold on a second, Dan. Have you seen Nathan Lane? <laughs> have you, Are haven't you, you seen, talking about the same person? Haven't you seen Stuart Little? Dude, a fucking mouse kills him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a big guy, and I've seen him play like imposing characters in like on stage. Like Dan, I saw him in Guys and Dolls, and he was not imposing, and he was playing a gangster in that. All right, but he's not supposed to be that imposing. He's like the you're lovable. Thinking, you're thinking of like gangster lead, though. Uh, Dan, are you think of Lawrence Tierney? Oh, God. Are you thinking Dwayne DJ the Rock Forget Johnson? That specific thing <laughs> I said. Dan, are you talking about <laughs> Dolph Lundgren? <laughs> Whoa! Forget that specific part of what I said. I, I Nathan Lane would have made this movie work. I think. I think. I, I, I think I, you're probably right. I will say, this is a movie I kind of like. I think it's got a lot of issues. In the, my main problem with it is the pacing, is yeah. that I'm, it's hard for me to dislike any movie that is trying to be a 1930s farce. Uh, and, and if it's like the pacing is just a little too slow, like you're saying, there's too many reaction shots. There's too much dead air around the jokes. And I think Sylvester Stallone is not the problem. I could see someone like Nathan Lane doing it, but it would be a different type of character because – then he wouldn't be imposing. He's the he's the gangster mastermind who's. But at that point, just have John Polito do it. If you're gonna have someone who's like a funny gangster type who's not yeah. supposed to be like a big strong or guy. Joe Piscopo. But I, uh, um, uh, but I originally I was reading about this. And originally, they wanted Al Pacino. Yeah. And instead, he did Dick Tracy because he was gonna get paid more money for it. I don't think Al Pacino would have been better. Like I think no. Sylvester Stallone is a pretty good I think comedy performer. They, and I, I think, think it's they, just that like. I think they originally were trying to put uh, 
John Belushi in it before he died, and then it sat on the shelf for ten years. That would have been put in it. John Belushi. That would have been very strange. Yeah, that would have been weird. Like uh, John Belushi has like a lot of charm, but it's like mostly kind of like a physical thing. Like with the idea that he's kind of an out of control slob gangster. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a gangster kingpin who's like a real – I mean it would be him playing against type I guess. But uh, yeah. I think that it's like if you t- – I wonder if there's a way to take this movie and literally just put it into Final Cut and edit out a ton of it and you'd have a stronger movie. It still wouldn't be great, but you'd have a stronger movie overall. Guys, I've got a Razzie's update. Oscar was not even nominated for Worst Picture that year. Oh, wow. It was nominated I think just in the acting and – uh and directing categories, not and not for worst screenplay, which is surprising because the screenplay is one of the issues here. Is that it's not there's just like there's a lot of business in it, but it's not really funny business. Yeah, I say this yeah. is somebody who I say this is somebody who has tried to write farces and fallen into the same trap of oh they're doing a lot of stuff, but it's not really that funny. So I know how easy it is to fall into that trap. It's hard to do. Like to write a really funny farce is really hard to do. Yeah, well, the, because you kind of. I think the problem. Say, no, I think that the like the problem with the screenplay of this is that like the plotting is kind of like the, the plotting is fine like like the 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 mix-ups and everything is fine but the actual jokes within that are not funny well and even the mix-ups are not that funny it's like the the way it's but she it's was his like daughter the whole time dude <laughs> <laughs> well i'm thinking more about every time they moved those bags around i was like god damn it like can we stop with the bags already like that's i hate that stuff uh but guys razzie's update so i so i would say it's a movie i kind of like but it's got a lot of issues razzie's update that was the year hudson hawk won big uh wait i thought that was this. the next year I thought- no, it was. I was wrong. That was it. Was that year because Oscar was not nominated for Worst Picture that year. Uh, instead, it was a big year for Hudson Hawk. Kevin Costner won for Robin Hood mm-hmm. for Worst Actor. Oh, okay. Dan Aykroyd did win for Worst Supporting Actor for Nothing But Trouble. So I agree okay. with that. Mm-hmm. But get this. Okay, Worst Original Song, Adam's Groove from the Adams Family, written by MC Hammer. That's, Are they crazy? That's the fuck out of here. <laughs> that is crazy. Everyone loves that song. Yeah. yeah. That's the one about how they do what they want to do and say what they want to say, right? And they yep. kick and they slap kick a friend. Kick and they stop a friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I listen to that shit on cassette tape on repeat, and uh, I think I know a little more than Razzie's about what makes a jam. Yeah. Uh, okay. Also nominated for Worst Original Song, Why Was I Born, Princess Freddy's Dead, from Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmore. Nightmare. <sighs> yeah. Let's go get him, guys. Yeah, whatever. Okay. <laughs> Let's go get him, guys. Uh, so, yeah, do we need to say anything more about uh, the Oscar? No. It's, no. it's just called Oscar. It's not I called... I there was a... There was a movie there, called there The Oscar. There was a movie called The Oscar. <coughs> yes. It was also supposed to be very bad. Yeah. And, um, there's a, and uh, of course, there's Oscar Madison, who is not a... It's not a movie. It's just a character from another thing. Oh, thank you for clarifying that, Elliot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I think that's all we have to say about Oscar. Great movie. Go out, run out, and get see it today, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we're the hosts of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners regardless of quality or content with in-studio guests and callers from all over the world. And you can win a custom a magnet. A custom magnet. Subscribe now to make sure you get our next episode. What's an example of a game, Manolo? Pokemon or medication. How do you play that? You have to guess if something's a Pokemon name or mm-hmm. a Medi- medication. Medication. First-time listener, if you want to listen to episode highlights and also know how to participate follow dr game show on facebook instagram and twitter we'd love to hear from you it's really fun for the whole family we'll be every other wednesday starting march 13th and we're coming to max fun snorlax pokemon yes nice this is nasa uh i see a flat earth but we should lie to everybody about it and say it's round 10-4 Maximum Fun brings you the latest podcast, an expose on the flat earth. I want to take advantage of humankind and make them believe a lie so that they will trust us with the government. It's all an elaborate lie. And when you get on a plane, they purposefully fly you farther than you need to go. It's disgusting. It needs to be stopped. And if you listen to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, we will tell you the truth behind the lies. Just kidding. We won't do that. We will just tell you the truth behind the truth because what we do is we look at extraordinary claims. That's right. We've gone undercover with alternative medical treatments, fringe religious groups, fringe science claims, the spiritual paranormal. We're there to check it out and let you know what happens. Is the Queen Mary haunted? I don't know. Find out. We show up. We make friends. We learn what happens when you ask questions and we tell you all about it. And we get all that funky stuff done to us. It's Ono, Ross, and Carrie at MaximumFun.org. So let's go on to, uh, we don't have any corporate sponsors this week. Yep. But we do have a couple of Jumbotrons. Oh, cool. That I sent to you guys. Uh, It looks like, let's see who can get it first. Who can open their device faster? Well, I've got mine ready right now, so why don't I go ahead? Okay. Okay. Here's a Jumbotron from them to you. Much Review About Nothing is a comedic podcast where three brothers try to review movies they haven't seen, using only cultural osmosis and whatever they can find on the internet. So join your hosts Billy, Jake, and Luke as they don't watch movies, go on wild tangents, and jump to ridiculous conclusions. Search for Much Review About Nothing on iTunes and Spotify and subscribe. That sounds like a funny idea for a guys, podcast. I'll check that out. Guys, why didn't we come up with this premise? It would have been a lot less work. <laughs> it would have saved us two to three hours a week, that's for sure. <laughs> Uh, and so much grief. Uh, this, I believe, is a message for Alan. It's not super clear. Uh, the message is from Ben and Tristan. Last names withheld. Dear Alan, we're so sorry you had to leave us. But what do you expect when you live a perilous life of plane crashes, exotic avian disease, cars smashing into your home, and high-speed bike chases? We hope we never have to ask, what if Alan met a dinosaur. He'll up soon so we can get back to our goal of working on a movie worthy of being flopped. All right. Uh, that sounds very exciting and also terrifying. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, that Is, having been done... Uh-huh, now what do we do, Dan? We can move on uh-huh. to the next thing. Yep. Which... Uh-huh, is what? Is... Uh-huh. Letters. Oh, okay. From listeners like you. Listeners... Oh, okay. Who wrote in letters? Let's respond mm-hmm. to them, shall we? Uh, the first. Yes, let's. <laughs> okay, thank you. The first one is from J. Middle name withheld Jameson, mm-hmm. who writes. <laughs> mm. Okay. 
Interesting. No, no way of knowing what letter that that name starts with. The middle name. Uh, dear freshly canned peaches. Uh huh. I finally got around to seeing Wreck for Apocalypse. I think I think that's funny. That it says he finally got around to seeing. <laughs> <laughs> we all have to see Wreck for Apocalypse at some time in our yeah. lives, boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this guy finally got around to doing it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, like the third movie, it does away with the found footage format. Also, like the third movie, it's not very good. I still have a fondness for the first two movies in the Wreck series, and it's strange that once it dumped the found footage angle, a subgenre of horror that is famously the first re- one is the first one is Wreck It Ralph, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm gonna just jump back a little so the okay. sentence yeah, makes rewind. sense. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> I have a fondness for the first two movies in the Wreck series. Oh, I get it, Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> now you get it. Oh, now man. you get it. Oh, hell it. It's it's strange that once it dumped the found footage angle, a subgenre, and of course the sequel, Theodore Rex. <laughs> oh man, got that one right away. Um, <laughs> is Theodore Rex an Oedipus what? Rex <laughs> joke? Yep. No, Dan. No, it is not. He's okay. a dinosaur. Unless Tyrannosaurus Rex is an Oedipus Rex reference, maybe it is. Maybe the ter- maybe they found evidence of a Tyrannosaurus Rex lusting after its mother. I mean, or murdering its father. It, stri- it was killing its father and pointing at its mother as lava hit them all, killed them, and they were fossilized in that moment. I mean, Very embarrassing. Follow me down this path, guys. Okay. I think- Let's do so. <laughs> I feel like a tyrannosaur, similar to Oedipus, has dreams that exceed his grasp, right? So I think that's a fair comparison. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's a fair description of Oedipus. <laughs> no, I think I'm right. <laughs> Uh, so Dan, uh, yeah. Yes, go on. Oh, I go. Oh, on. just uh, yeah, it's yeah. a fair description of a tyrannosaur because his his grasp is very short. Okay. Anyway, I still have a fondness for the first two movies in the Rex series, and it's strange that once it dumped the found footage angle, a subgenre of horror that is famously reviled by the flop cast themselves, the series actually got worse. Which brings us to the question: Are there movies that you love in genres you're not particularly fond of, or perhaps are there movies that almost work? That would benefit from switching genres. J middle name withheld Jameson. Obvious pseudonym, but I read it again anyway. Uh-huh, yep. <clears throat> no, no. Maybe it really is from J Jonah Jameson, Dan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe yep. Maybe Spider Man's yeah. Uh, there's a postscript. Boss and enemy. <laughs> there's a postscript that says, "Get me Spider Man." Uh-huh. <laughs> the subject line was flop house threat or menace. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Dan, so I see you uh, zooming around the internet on your phone. Do you have an answer? Or are you trying to come up with, come uh, up with one real quick? I, <laughs> I well, I have kind of an answer, but it's funny to me. I like. <laughs> I, well, don't I, tell it then. <laughs> I looked. I googled film genres just to like, <laughs> in case I like thought I like forgot of uh, like a genre that I'm like, oh yeah, I really do like just like that genre. And I'm like scrolling through, scrolling through, and it's all like very basic: thriller, western, film noir, comedy. Uh-huh. And then, like, I go, like, sort of deep in the list, and it goes, pornographic film. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I, yeah, I guess that's a genre. Oh, yeah, I wait. Can I, can I, I'm going to have to change my answer real quick, guys. <laughs> yeah, has there ever been a porn where you guys were like, I wish this was a mainstream movie because I'm enjoying it so much? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I feel like if this porn switched genres to horror, it would be uh, just as affecting for me. <laughs> uh, but Dan, what's your answer? Or dancer, as some would say. Uh, I don't have a really great one. I The first thing that came to my mind when I read this question was when Dunkirk was uh, being uh, advertised. Yeah. 
Oh, and you want it to be a wacky comedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, I I have enjoyed all of Christopher Nolan's movies from from one, for one degree to another, uh-huh. and uh, I normally would be very excited about a new movie from him. And yeah. I kind of went to it out of like a weird obligation because I do not like war movies for the most part, or like they're like mm-hmm. mo- there are genres that are sort of war adjacent that I like, but ones that are like specifically about like combat, I'm not particularly into. Because what about War of the Worlds? Uh, I call that more of a science fiction horror. Charlie Wilson's War. That's more of a. Like, that's kind of a satire. I guess. War like of the Roses. That's a. Uh, that's a black comedy about divorce. Xena Warrior this Princess. War? That's a television show. <laughs> yeah, this about means a lesbian a good warrior one. princess. Yeah, what about this means war? Uh, that is a. Uh, that is a comedy supposedly <laughs> about some spies. I think I can't remember. What about Guar? <laughs> Guar. Uh-huh. That's a band. Yeah, Guar the band. <laughs> I like. Yeah. I like their uh, horror attitude. I guess. Cool. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> okay. But no, I like. I went to see it, and I was like, okay, no, I I really enjoyed this movie, but I was. It 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 felt like a chore beforehand because I, I don't know. Like I don't. I feel like war is like this sort of horrific thing, and I kind of agree uh, that like <laughs> taking a big stand there. Well, buddy. but I kind of agree. <laughs> I kind of agree that any war movie, even if it's not trying to glamorize it, glamorizes war a little bit, and so um, yeah. Oh, look at Sam Fuller over here. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so that's my answer. But no, I well here's here was my experience with Dunkirk as I was like. The same similar thing. I mean, I do enjoy a lot of war movies, but that where uh, I was like, "Ugh, this movie's gonna be like three hours long." And then I found out it was not, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> an hour and a half!" And I loved it. I thought yeah. it was such a good movie. And I was like, "Oh, this." I, I hope other people watch this. Other directors and are like, "Oh, I can make a great movie that's less than two hours long. This yeah. will be wonderful." You know. Uh, so Stuart, the genre you like are short movies. Well, I mean, guess that's oh, certainly. <laughs> I guess so. Uh, I had a lot of trouble answering this question. I don't think I really have an answer for it. Well, I mean, it's it's a hard question because I think that I'm. I, mean, I don't want to speak. Most hard about it. The hardest thing about this question is that you sent it to me this morning <laughs> while I was get, making breakfast for my children, and so I really didn't have time to think of an answer. That's the hardest thing, part of it. I don't want to speak for all of us, but I I sort of assume that because we are all fans of movies in general, we aren't like oh I hate a specific genre, like because. There are good examples in basically every genre. Yeah. yeah there's it, At first I was like, do I – I mean like there's a lot of like cheesy romantic comedies I don't like. But I like comedies and romance. Like I like movies that are funny movies about romance. So like it's hard for me to think of a genre, yeah, a genre that I don't care for. And it seems like there are so many movies that it's like hard to think about switching a genre on a movie and not changing its – DNA so significantly Mm -hmm. that it just becomes a different movie, you know? I mean, yeah, like like audition. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess if I I don't don't think that's what he's suggesting though, is that we're like starting with a movie and then halfway through we change. No, 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 but I mean like there's it's not the only movie that I can really think of that kind of fits I think was saying is like how the innkeepers is mostly a comedy and then becomes a horror movie. And I kind of wish it just stayed a comedy. Yeah. You know, like I don't really need the horror stuff at the end. I like it. I liked it so much just seeing these employees at this hotel that's closing down, just kind of going about their business and thinking maybe there's a ghost around. But that's, but I still like that movie or not. It's not that the movie almost works. The movie does work. I just like that aspect. Of yeah. It. I, can, I I mean, I kind of feel the same way about uh, Dan Gilroy's Velvet Buzzsaw that went up. Uh, Cause it like, it's, it's a dumb, silly movie. That's super fun and goofy. 
but like the like the world building and comedy stuff is fun for me at least and then they then like people start dying and you're like oh yeah this is a horror movie uh all right so that's that <laughs> basically that i'm saying i think says, is that i feel like most movies would be improved if you switched the genre to movies with wrestlers in them <laughs> okay. okay what about the wrestler uh, yeah, it would be way better if Suburban Commando showed up and just started blasting dudes. <laughs> so this next letter is from John Shoemaker, real name withheld. Uh-huh. I don't like mm. all these format breaks we've got going on here, you guys. A lot okay. of well, you don't have to choose these letters. <laughs> That's true. I could punish them for... <laughs> or you could you could actually change them entirely, whole cloth. Have you ever seen <laughs> Can You true. Ever Forgive Me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is a three-part letter. How's Dan's <laughs> Dan deep? takes these what? letters and adds a PS at the bottom, and then tries to sell them at like an antiquarian <laughs> bookshop. This doesn't I sound mean, like Dorothy Parker. Yeah, he would he would try and do it. And then after a while, when they're onto him, they would have me, his much more charming friend, do it. <laughs> oh, I really want to see. Can you ever flop? Give me the, uh-huh. the Flophouse version of Can you ever forgive me? Okay, this is a this is a triptych of questions. Okay. <laughs> Okay, let's uh, so set them next. Well, yeah, let's set them next to each other. <laughs> see if it makes. It, see if we can fold them together to make a different picture, right? <laughs> yeah, it's some kind of altarpiece. Uh, how's Dan's knee doing? Has Stuart actually punched anyone he's threatened on the pod? Oh shit! Does Elliot still sing to his son? Sincerely, John Sh- John Schumacher, real name withheld. This is a cop. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cop. It's a cop. Yeah. Yeah. Question yeah. number four. Hey, do you guys have any drugs? Can I buy some from you? Oh man, he's got to tell us. I have a question for you, question keeper. <laughs> uh, so Dan, how's your knee? Uh, it's fine. Every once in a while, I get some pain. It's like you know, ninety mm-hmm. percent of what it was before I screwed it up. But you know, it's fine. And, and ever since I uh, stole a horse and went into the woods to pick some herbs and made a poultice for your leg, it's felt mm-hmm. much better. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh. Question number saw a movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I liked it. Um, the to answer your question, no, I uh, live a life of nonviolence, so I don't punch anyone that I threaten on the air, officer. And uh, <laughs> and I sing to my kids all the time. I have a song for my little baby that is called "It's Okay" for when he's crying. That tends mm-hmm. to calm him down. Uh, and I sing to my older son, Sammy, quite a bit, but he doesn't like it when I sing songs about him or about his brother. And he'll go, he'll go, don't sing about me. And then I'll start singing about the baby. And he goes, don't sing about my brother. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So, but, uh, He's like, you don't know my life, dad. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Don't, dad, don't, this, you, from your privileged position as a grown up, you can't see what it's like to be a kid. Uh-huh. But, uh, the, uh, he, one thing that I've learned about my, my older son, Sammy, is that it is impossible for him to hear music without dancing. Even if a car drives by with music coming out of the windows, he'll dance <laughs> for a couple seconds. So I've been taking advantage of that, just seeing him dance. All right. Uh, last question of mm-hmm. the episode. Yep. From Steve, last name withheld. Okay. Hold into the Savage. traditional patterns. Mm-hmm. Savage, Savage Steve Holland. Steve Holland. Okay. Oh, great. Uh, it's for Stuart. Did you guys like that dancing burger from, <laughs> from Better Off Dead? Was it too much? What? Loves, get the hell out of here. Like, That's the best part of any movie. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like the dancing burger? <laughs> Do you think they ripped off my dancing burger in uh, Batteries Not Included? Question mark. Uh, the answer's probably. This probably. is a question for Stuart. Uh-huh, cool. Would you rather watch... <laughs> 
<laughs> Would you rather watch 40 Days and 40 Nights one time uh-huh. or Eight Crazy Nights five times? <laughs> uh <laughs> You know, I've actually never seen Eight Crazy Nights, so this feels like uh, me reaching into an empty bag of scorpions. Or are there scorpions? We don't know. And why, I don't know why I said it's empty, because I already clearly said it had scorpions <laughs> yeah, in it. If, if someone's like, reach your hand into this empty bag of scorpions. Okay, cool. No problem. I stopped listening. I gave away there's no scorpions in there. <laughs> not scared. <laughs> uh, I'm going to pick Eight Crazy Nights, because the other one makes me so mad. Okay. So that was a that, that was a great that was a great letter mostly because it led us to an empty bag of scorpions. Anyway. Uh, so let's do our last thing on the show which is uh, what do we do? We recommend movies that we've seen and oh. enjoyed that you should probably watch before you watch Oscar even though we kind of liked Oscar. Recommendations Oscar edition. So we haven't taped how Okay. Mm-hmm. We haven't taped in a little while. We put out a live episode. Other stuff was going on. So mm-hmm. so that gave you plenty of time to watch a movie. Actually, I was going to say, the movie I watched, I watched a while back, so I don't remember a lot about it at this okay. point. Okay. This is all uh, This is all good backstory that the audience needs to know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Otherwise, I know that I enjoyed it. It's called Black Coal Thin Ice. Did I recommend this? I don't think I did. Did I? Let's I don't think so. Pretend we did. Uh, it's a Chinese film. It's from 2014. It's black hole? Black coal. Coal, okay. <coughs> black coal, thin ice. Didn't recommend it, guys. Great. Uh, it's a film noir. Uh, it's about these uh, dismembered human body parts start showing up in coal shipments mm-hmm. all around the cities in, uh, in the local cities in this area of China. And a detective is inside to investigate, and he thinks that he solves the case in kind of this bloodbath uh, that haunts him for years later. He becomes a drunk, but then stuff starts happening again that's eerily similar to what happened before. And, uh, you know, like, it it doesn't, like, the plot doesn't, like, totally, like, like shock and surprise and, like, hold together in the way that I kind of would like it to, but the uh, atmospherics of the movie are really good. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's just a it's a great looking movie. It's a creepy feeling movie. And if you're looking for a film noir from another country, it's uh it's very interesting and enjoyable. So black coal thin ice. Cool. Sounds cool. Uh I'm gonna recommend a movie from last uh actually uh yeah I think it was from last year. It might have seen a release this year. It's a movie called Piercing uh, it's a, I guess, American or Western movie, uh, based on a novel by a Japanese author. Uh, I'm probably going to mess this up. Ryu Murakami, the author of the novel that the movie audition was based on the movie I mentioned a little bit ago. Um, it's a movie about a man who is driven by an urge to kill and for fear that he might take this urge out on his uh, newborn child, he instead uh, pr- pretends he lies to his wife about going out of town on a business trip and instead goes to a hotel and hires a prostitute with the intention of murdering her. Um, and then uh, it kind of spins out of control from there. And it ends like it's this very carefully crafted movie. Um, the A lot of the exteriors are all done with miniatures and it it feels very uh, stylized without being kind of hokey. And 
the performances are all really cool and it ends up being uh, a horrifying movie that is also a movie kind of about like connection and communication. Um, and I found it to be like, I found it to be really interesting. It doesn't offer, I feel like it brings up a lot of questions and doesn't really offer answers, but, uh, I recommend it. All right, guys, I'm going to recommend a movie that later today will either win an Academy Award or will not win an Academy Award. And this is one of the movies nominated for the best documentary category. It's called mind. It's called minding the gap. Oh, cool. And uh, it's a movie by Bing Liu, which is about him and these two other young men who are all skateboarders and basically following their lives as three guys growing up in this very kind of like mid-sized, I guess, town in uh, Illinois that does not have a lot of uh, promise for young men who are trying to make lives or careers and how each of these three guys, uh, one is black, one's white, and the director is Chinese – uh, how they kind of like grow up in different ways and how the, uh, as it unfolds, you realize they've each been the victims in some way or another of, uh, abuse by their fathers and how they now see themselves as men growing up and how they kind of deal with the, with the past that they've been given. And I'm being kind of vague about it, if only because I went into it having heard a little bit about it, but not knowing how these guys lives were going to turn out and, it meant that I really felt like I was seeing these guys unfold in front of me in a way that was surprising and interesting. So I really liked it a lot. It's a real heavy movie. It's very emotional, but there's also a lot of sweet skateboarding footage in it. Oh, so cool. They uh, like thrown a lot of bloops, like, a lot of dudes smashing their nuts. Did, did, I mean, did not anyone, bloops, but guys, did guys do fall down a lot. Gleam a cube. Was a cube gleamed at any time? I don't think any cubes are gleamed, but... Uh, it's interesting to see, like, skateboarding is one of those sports that's always been interesting to me because it's like, no matter how good you are at it, you will still keep falling down, and the only way to get good at it is to fall down a lot. So, like, mm-hmm. even if you're really talented from a young age, you still fall down a lot at it, and the skateboarding really becomes kind of like a metaphor for life in a way, like the frustrations of it and the need to get back on the board even once you've fallen down and gotten angry, uh, and how important it is to keep on living. So anyway, Minding the Gap, I liked it a lot. But it's a it's an emotional movie. It's like not a it's not a movie to sit down and be like, oh, this will be a fun movie. I feel like I there's a lot of there's a lot of documentaries that I've heard a fair amount of buzz about that are all going into the Academy Awards this year. And I don't know if it's just like it, like the way that streaming services have made it possible for more documentaries to find audiences, or whether like the renewed interest in to, true crime has led people to an interest in documentary style stuff. I don't know. I don't know. I do think that for all that people complain, people who make big movies that get shown in movie theaters don't like streaming services because it means people watch stuff on their home in their homes instead of in the theaters, mm-hmm. which I have mixed feelings about. Because yeah, it's great to see stuff in the theaters, but like I don't have time to go to the theaters all the time. I'd much rather watch, like, have the opportunity to watch a movie where it's convenient for me. Yeah, uh, you work for me, movie makers, but I do think that the streaming services have been very good for documentaries because it provides a market for them that didn't exist before. Like the, mm-hmm. there are a lot of documentaries that previously would have been shown at festivals, would have gotten some kind of maybe DVD release that wouldn't go much of anywhere. But now the streaming services are so hungry for material and people are, I think more likely to watch one at home than they are to go to a movie theater to see a documentary. Yeah. And so like, it's, I think it's really, and like, I think Hulu, I don't know if they, 
produced it, but like it's it's branded as a Hulu documentary. They must have yeah. either the, either they, they put up money for it or they you know did the distribution for it or whatever. But like if Hulu is putting money money towards this kind of project, then like that's great. I don't know what other major media outlet is putting up maybe like HBO. Yeah, is putting up money for that kind of documentary stuff. Netflix and who's aside from streaming, like streaming, I think has been very good for funding and distribution for documentaries. Not so great for small movies because even though they get distributed, they don't get theatrical runs a lot, and they just end up as one of the. You may also like screen, mm-hmm. you know, thumbnails on your thing, but for documentary, I think it's been good. And that's Ellie Kalin talking about something he doesn't really know that much about. Okay. But Great if you episode have Hulu, as always. You can watch this. But anyway, that's me. What I was saying, if you have Hulu, you can watch this documentary right now. Cool, Dan. What do we do now? Uh, now we sign off. Uh, this has been. I hope that this Oscar episode has been filled with all the glitz and glamour you were looking for. Uh-huh. I mean, I am wearing a tuxedo, and uh, you know, I guess we'll meet back here in one year and watch Oscar all over again. Oh, uh, um, <laughs> I, I should have read the fine print on the contract. <laughs> but uh. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, go to MaximumFun.org. Uh, listen to a lot of other great podcasts we got there. Yeah. Um, tweet about us. Fleet about us. Mm-hmm. Meet about us. Yeah. yeah, why not? Cheat about uh, or, us. I, Wait also, a minute. Uh, hold on. Don't do that. If uh, uh, feel, Please leave a review for us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, please continue to, to support Maximum Fun. Uh, and please, yeah, <laughs> help us spread the word about the Flophouse. Okay. Well, uh, you're, you're, you guys are great. I love oh, you both. Wow, thanks. <laughs> oh, Dan, are you dying? What's going on? <laughs> we'll talk about it off air. No, okay. For the Flophouse, <laughs> I've been Dan McCoy. Uh, hey, I, I guess I'm Stuart Wellington. <laughs> and I'm Elliot Kalen. And over here on the couch, done with my nap, it's me, Sylvester Stallone, ready to go with you guys to see Hamilton on the Great White Way. Yeah, now that you live in L.A., are you able to put more context to all the porn you watch? Whenever I walk into a house, I'm like, oh, so that's why they do it this way. I see. Yeah. I've that's yet to have that's why they design houses this way? <laughs> <laughs> we need more room for the cameraman to watch, uh, you know, the uh, the aging but beautiful old uh, Dilf. Uh, <laughs> Dilf? What is that? Dad, I like to fuck. Oh, oh, I see. The, uh... I thought it was like a, uh, I don't know, like a dragon. I mean, that I'd like to bug. That, I feel like that's an oxymoron. <laughs> you mean a redundancy? Yeah, thank you. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.